I gave my first platform ever right here. Uh, it was sometime during the 1980-1981 season. And I think that every year since then, I have given at least one platform from this spot. Uh, the first few years as a leader in training here at the Washington Ethical Society, and then for the past 13, 14 years as the guest speaker from the Northern Virginia Ethical Society. But life has changed, and this is my last platform here, and in my about to end career as an ethical culture leader, I only have three platforms to go. And then I'll be back to full-time music as a musician performer occasionally, most often as a music teacher. And my Sundays will often be devoted to music making and occasionally to visits at the Northern Virginia Ethical Society where I look forward to sitting in the back row and listening to someone else's platforms. Um, years ago, somebody passed on to me this cartoon. I know that those of you in the back row can't see it. It's a large convention hall but there are only two people in attendance at this convention. And what it is, it's the annual meeting of the adult children of normal parents. <laughs> now, please don't think, based on my title, It's Time for the Child Within to Grow Up, um, that I am opposed to the inner child movement or to support groups for adult children of addictive or abusive or dysfunctional families. I certainly think this movement does a lot of good. But I have to say that my own enthusiasm for cataloging my childhood wounds um, waned dramatically a few years ago when it suddenly occurred to me that my own adult child could probably generate a pretty long list of her own wounds at my hands. So I decided to cool it on the adult child. I think I'm supposed to push this. So my thesis today is that a very good way to take care of our inner child is to cultivate our inner adult. The inner adult, or the psychological adult, is distinct from the chronological grown-up. Inner adulthood is a process a process of living in the world free of distortions, a process of being well-grounded in reality, both external reality and internal reality. And please note that it's not a destination to which we finally arrive, but rather a lifelong, ongoing process. This morning I want to talk briefly about the differences between being a chronological grown-up and being a psychological adult. I'd, offer, I'd like to offer a partial list of some of the qualities of psychologically mature people. And then I'd like to talk in a little more depth about one particular quality of psychological adulthood, the capacity for being at peace with ourselves. So first of all, grown-ups versus adults. And let me credit here Fran and Lewis Cox. They're the authors of a book called A Conscious Life, cultivating the seven qualities of authentic adulthood. And so they've helped me to understand the distinction. When they use the word grown-up, they are talking about external aspects of life, things that we have. For example, you're a grown-up if you have a job, if you have a house or an apartment, maybe if you have a spouse or a divorce. 
maybe kids. If you have a bank account, credit cards, investments. Being a chronological grown-up is about having, and it's also about struggling to maintain an illusion of being in control of your life. Adulthood has to do with internal states, with ways of being, at homeness with yourself, whether or not you have a bank account or kids or a divorce or an apartment. Psychological adulthood is at homeness with the self combined with genuine ethical concern for others. So here's a partial list of some of the hallmarks of true adulthood. Um, by the way, just creating a list of the hallmarks is in of itself an ongoing process. Um, so if I were ever to give a talk again on the subject, which I am not, there might be some new items. First of all, there's a paradox about what it is to be a true adult because many of the qualities of true adults are the qualities of healthy childhood. True adults are curious, spontaneous, and capable of intimacy. I also put on this list some items where I found overlap between my list of the qualities of an ethically mature person. Uh, whenever possible, I work this list into a talk, and today seemed like a real good opportunity, so I'm going to repeat some items that appear on my list of an ethically mature person, which I think are also hallmarks of an emotionally mature person. Such people, first of all, work out of a sense of calling. Work may include paid employment, but it also involves volunteer work, avocational activities. Emotionally mature people find joy in contributing to others' well-being and to purposes larger than themselves. Um, emotionally mature people may have a day job, which is how they handle some of the requirements of being a grown-up, having a house and kids and responsibilities, and the day job may or may not be a primary vehicle through which they exercise their callings. Mature adults are able to sustain caring personal relationships. They have healthy self-awareness. They know how to capitalize on their strengths. They know how to compensate for their weaknesses. They know how to refresh and renew themselves. Responsible, mature adults recognize significant choice points in their lives, and they make decisions at these choice points based on their deepest values. Adults are at peace with their parents or with the memory of their parents whether or not they came from a so-called normal or from a so-called dysfunctional family. Adults know two things. First of all, they know that their parents did the best they could. And second, that they know that their parents' best may or may not have been good enough. If your parents' best was good enough, let us take a moment to be grateful grateful that we got good enough parenting, and also grateful that our parenting wasn't perfect, because it was the little flaws, perhaps, in the way our parents related to us that have generated some of our most charming personality quirks <laughs> that make us the distinct individuals that we are. Think how boring it would be if we all had perfect parenting and we all were 
well-adjusted. How dull life would be. How nice that we have these little uh, charming idiosyncrasies. And we owe it to our good enough but not perfect parenting. If the parenting you received was not good enough, there are two things you need to know. You deserved better, and your parents' shortcomings were not your fault. You were not to blame for their shortcomings. Healthy adults form relationships as adults with their parents or with the memories of their parents based on current reality. And a relation with parents based on current reality may take many different forms depending on the situation. Uh, based on current reality, you may wisely decide to sue your parents or to have them prosecuted. <laughs> you may decide to write them off or to limit contact severely. You may decide to put them in a nursing home or in an adult daycare center. You may decide to have an adult friendship. You may treasure your happy memories. Healthy adults become aware of coping mechanisms they used in childhood and review those mechanisms and drop them if they are no longer serving. Some of us may have gotten through childhood by being compliant. Is that still working today? Some of us found that if we made a lot of noise and had temper tantrums and rebelled, that worked pretty well. Are we still using that technique today in situations where it's not really serving us? Some of us withdrew. I withdrew into piano practice some of the time, or we withdrew into reading. Is that still working? Yes, that still works for me. I like that. <laughs> I'm keeping that one. Finally, in regard to parenting, healthy adults understand that parenting often takes place on a metaphorical level. And healthy adults are aware of opportunities in life to receive good parenting and also to give good parenting. I have in my life a young woman who corresponds with me. She now lives out of the country with her husband and young son, and she has another baby on the way. She's about 20 years younger than me. Um, she's a person who had bad parenting. Her parents were seriously neglectful, if not abusive. And yet somehow, she's managed to thrive in life. She has a wonderful marriage. She had a very successful career for a while in uh, broadcasting in, in Europe. It's very hard for Americans to work in the broadcasting industry in Europe, but she had a very significant job from which she is now on a leave to raise a family. And I wonder, how is it that she managed to do so well despite a, a poor start in life? And I think partly it is she has been a person who's been able to find parenting in other places. Um, she was a bright young woman and I think attracted the support of teachers. I think in some ways my relationship with her has been a kind of mothering relationship. Um, and I find that for myself, that as an adult, when we offer parenting to others, there's a way in which we are nurturing ourselves in the very act of giving nurturing to others. Don Montagna played a significant parenting role in my life, mentoring me when I was a leader in training and in the early stages of leadership. All of you can probably think of people who have been mentors for you and times when you yourself have been a mentor for someone else. It's a way to continue good parenting throughout your life. And finally, I would like to acknowledge the Washington Ethical Society played a parenting role 14 years ago when you helped to found your daughter's society, the Northern Virginia community. 
So mature adults are at peace with their parents and with parenting. Healthy adults are also at peace with death. Healthy adults mourn life's losses appropriately. Healthy adults take reasonable care of health and safety. But healthy adults also recognize their own mortality and live accordingly. Again, this is an ongoing process. Healthy adults are at peace with themselves at peace with the choices they have made within the constraints of their external lives, and also at peace with their inner lives. And, and it is this aspect of healthy adulthood that I want to flesh out in detail this morning, being at peace with yourself. Um, I'd like to begin by reading a quote from a book called Simplify Your Life, 100 Ways to Slow Down and Enjoy the Things That Really Matter by Elaine St. James. Um, in some ways, Simplify Your Life, A Hundred Ways, is a kind of a hints from Heloise type book for people who are interested in voluntary simplicity, um, the movement which has to do with kind of streamlining the material aspects of life in order to have a richer inner life, a richer spiritual life, if you will. Now, I want to offer one caveat, one warning about the book Simplify Your Life. Um, although I find many of these hundred hints to be very helpful, I also find in this particular book a kind of flavor that um, advocates a kind of withdrawal from the larger community, kind of staying home and being by yourself, um, avoiding both just friendly social contacts and I think avoiding responsibility um, for ethical action in the larger community. And that aspect of this particular book uh, concerns me, so I recommend it um, with at least a grain of salt, but having made that warning, I would like to quote from you hint number 73 out of the 100, just be yourself. Have you ever stopped to think about how much energy you spend, how much you complicate your life by pretending to be someone other than who you are? We all do it. It's part of being human. But a good exercise is to sit down and go through all the major areas of your life and decide how each would be different if the only person you had to impress was you. Would you have a different career? What kind of house would you live in? Would you drive a different car? How would you dress? How would you spend your spare time? Often, we assume various layers of pretense not so much out of our own needs, but because of someone else's. How often are we untrue to ourselves because of the pressures of our family, the demands of our mate, the entreaties of our children? If your lifestyle reflects someone else's idea of how your life should be, take a few moments to imagine how much simpler it would be if you dropped the pretense and just learned to be yourself. Now, I want to, again, offer a caveat about this reading. What's important to take away from this reading is the idea that we should not waste our time, energy, trying to create a good impression or to please other people. But on the other hand, I think we should expend energy taking into account other people's legitimate needs, legitimate rights, 
legitimate ethical claims upon us. If, for example, you are a married person, perhaps with children, and you are offered a wonderful job in another city, it certainly is appropriate to take into account in your decision process the legitimate claims and needs of the people who are connected to you because of your life commitments. Uh, about a month ago, uh, the Sally Forth comic strip had this very um, element in which, t how many of you read Sally Forth? And Ted was offered a great job in another city, but what did he do? He, he turned it down because a move wasn't going to be good for Sally and for their child, Hillary. I don't think he's guilty of pandering to other people's whims. I think that he's legitimately taking into account the needs and rights of people connected to him. And in a sense, he is being true to himself because his self includes not just his profession, but also his connections, his family ties, and so forth. So yes, be true to yourself, but also part of being a self is to be a person connected in a web of relationships. And those, that web of relationships is part of who we are and has to be factored into our decision making. Sometimes also pleasing yourself can be carried too far and simply becomes a form of immaturity. Um, in the 1980s in particular, we often heard this expression, if other people don't like what I do, that's their problem. Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, John only mentioned a few of the instruments that I play. Um, he forgot to say that I play flute and I also play trombone. Now, if my neighbors happen to think that it's strange for a 49-year-old woman to be teaching herself the trombone, well, that is their problem. But if I practice my trombone at midnight, I think we've gone just beyond I can do what I want and it's their problem if they don't like it. If, if I am, in fact, a person who values living in a neighborhood where people respect and care about one another, it is my problem if I feel a need to practice at midnight. And fortunately, there is a product, a trombone mute, that you can just stick right in there if you want to practice your trombone at midnight and still be a member in good standing of your neighborhood. A few years ago, I witnessed a woman being rude, obnoxious at a committee meeting. A lot of my ethical platform examples come from the way that people behave at committee meetings. <laughs> well, this particular committee meeting, this woman happened to disagree with the committee's plan for something or other, and it certainly was her right and even her obligation to express her disagreement. But in the process of offering her differing point of view, she attacked the character of the other committee members, accusing them, very unfairly in my opinion, since I was one of them, of evil motives. In other words, she was violating Robert's rules of order, which forbid ad hominem attacks, attacks on the character of a person. And afterwards she said to me, well, I suppose Agatha thought I was nuts, but that's her problem. No, I don't think so. I don't think that the concept of problem ownership justifies violating the legitimate rights and needs of other people, and it certainly doesn't justify violating Robert's rules. <laughs> but as long as we are taking other people's legitimate needs and rights into account, we can probably find a lot more joy in life if we answer the callings of our own hearts and give up the seductions of making a good impression. Now, I have to say here that I think that making the shift from 
answering the callings of our own heart to and, and giving up needing to prove yourself is something that maybe we can't just consciously make a decision to do. I think it's an event that happens kind of as part of our own maturing process. It's something that kind of ripens in its own time, and it's not so much that we can will this shift to happen, not so much that we can cause it, but rather that we can just begin to be open to the stirrings of the part of ourself that says, maybe the ways I've been spending my time to impress other people haven't really been nourishing me. And so if you just get a little voice inside you that starts to speak to you in that way, just make a little space for it. 17 years ago, when I entered the American Ethical Union's leadership training program, I felt a very strong need, which by the way was largely unconscious, to prove myself. I felt a need to prove that women could succeed as ethical leaders. At that time, at the day that I entered the leadership training program, there were no women currently serving ethical society congregations in leadership. So I felt a need to prove that women could do this, and I felt a need to prove that this particular woman could do the job of ethical leadership. For some reason, in the past year or two, that burden seems to have lifted from me. Um, and not because I told it to go away, but somehow, for some reasons that I don't fully understand, that burden simply has lifted. About two months ago, I was offered a job, and I accepted the job, um, teaching piano one day a week at a music store in Annandale, Virginia, Capone's Music Store. And the first day that I went in to teach, Chris Capone, who is the son of the original owners and who is now running the store, said to me, you know, your name seems really familiar to me. And I said, yes, Chris, my name would seem familiar because back when you were in high school, helping out in the store, I was a band teacher here in Fairfax County Schools, right in the schools in the Annandale area. And every couple of months, I would come in to make sure that you had an adequate supply of John Cunion's basic training course method book for beginning band students. And that's why my name would seem familiar to you. And he said, oh, yes, you know, he remembered that. So then I started teaching my 10 piano students, and five hours later got in my car to drive home, and I thought to myself, well, this is interesting. 25 years ago, I was a music teacher in Annandale, and here I am again. I am a music teacher in Annandale. And it made me think of a little joke. What is the difference between a musician and a certificate of deposit? The answer is that CDs mature and they earn more money as they get older. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I guess that I have not developed a very impressive career path here. <laughs> After 25 years, here I am back in Annandale teaching music. And I laughed a kind of ironic laugh to myself. But then I laughed again, a real hearty, delighted belly laugh, because suddenly I realized that I don't feel the need to prove anything. I love teaching piano in Annandale. And if that's not impressive enough for you, that is your problem. <laughs> On the other hand, my desire to be a piano teacher in Capitol Hill, where I live, and in Annandale, where I teach once a week, as opposed to being an ethical leader in Virginia, does have consequences for the ethical society in Virginia, for the ethical movement, and for some of you. 
uh, and particularly those of you who were involved in helping to start the group 14 years ago um, may have some feelings about this decision. My decision has caused an enormous amount of work at the Northern Virginia Ethical Society. Um, three years ago, I requested a sabbatical. And during the year when the group was deciding whether or not I could have a sabbatical, I thought I had probably seen the ultimate in the number of meetings that could be held in one ethical society in one year. But I was wrong. Uh, my impending retirement has actually caused more meetings to be held. Uh, in a single year. The amount of work is just tremendous. Uh, we have a search committee that's working around the clock now and a transition committee and our board of trustees is working very, very hard. But in addition to the work which my decision has caused, my transition from ethical leader back to musician has surely triggered feelings in many people. And some of those are acceptable grown-up feelings and some may not be acceptable grown-up feelings. Here is a place where the inner adult can take good care of the inner child by recognizing and accepting all feelings, whether grown-up or not, whether consistent or not. The inner adult recognizes feelings as feelings, no more, no less. And then having recognized feelings, makes wise decisions about whether or not certain feelings will be the basis of action. So your inner adult or the inner adult of Northern Virginia Ethical Society members um, may recognize any or all of the following feelings about my impending retirement. First of all, some people are feeling happy for me glad that I'm able to make a transition to what I really want to do. And of course, some people are just plain happy. You will find this hard to believe, but some people never liked my leadership, and so finally they think they have a chance to get the kind of leader they would like. Um, many people have a reaction of recognition that the change could be good for the group, and so they're feeling optimistic about what the future will bring. There's much curiosity about what it will be like next year, who will be the new leader, how will things change, how will things be the same. And there is resistance to change. There is weariness and boredom with the very long process. It's, it's been over a year since I have announced my decision, and still no new leader has been selected. There's excitement. There's sadness. There's some jealousy. Uh, some people who feel stuck in their own work and are jealous that I happen to be in a position um, to move to something else. Here's the secret. If you have a job that's really low paying, then it's easy to make a transition at some future time. <laughs> but some people are jealous because they don't have jobs that are so low paying, and so they feel more stuck in what it is that they're doing. For some people, there is reasonable acceptance that, well, we don't like it that Susan's going to leave, but of course, ethical leaders are not slaves. They are free to make decisions for themselves. And there is anger. <laughs> I have to tell you, John, that the next feeling is there's a lot of anger because, in fact, ethical leaders are slaves, and they do not have the right to do this. If we're at peace with ourselves, we can accept any or all of the feelings above including the feelings that are unreasonable, the feelings that are inconsistent. So if someone is simultaneously dreading the changes 
and eagerly anticipating the changes? Let it be. If people are both happy for me and angry at me, let it be. Don't slash my tires, but let it be that you're angry. That's okay. And then notice that after a time, the feelings change. I was noting in myself recently, as I was reading the March issue of the Northern Virginia Ethical Society newsletter, a kind of un disquiet, a kind of unease. And it, I especially got this kind of gnawing feeling in my stomach as I read the names of certain Unitarian ministers who were coming to Northern Virginia. And then there was an article from the search committee in that newsletter, newsletter explaining that some of these Unitarian ministers, some visiting ethical culture leaders, may or may not be candidates for the position of leader. And I was feeling kind of uncomfortable about this. So the part of myself, which I hope is my inner adult, had a little conversation with my inner child that went like this. Here's my inner adult. So, Susan, what's bothering you here? Um, are you regretting your decision to retire? And my inner child answers, no, no, I'm clear that I want to be doing music right now, and that at this particular time in my life, I just don't feel any further need to write and give platforms, or attend meetings, or teach classes, or conduct ceremonies, or do counseling. When I think about next year, and when I think that I won't be doing any of those things, that feels okay. What bothers me is that someone else will be doing these things. <laughs> that someone else is going to be doing my job. I hate that. I don't want anyone else to do my job. I don't want to do it myself. But I don't want anyone else to do it either. This is my job. At the point when I originally wrote those words for this talk, I actually stopped to cry. Now, a grown-up wouldn't have cried. But my inner adult let my inner child just go ahead and have a good cry. And then the feeling passed, at least for a while. And I was able to recognize something, which is that actually no one else will be doing my job. Because my job was to help the group get started and to grow to the point where it could be independent of me. Sounds kind of like parenting, doesn't it? The leaders who come after me will have different jobs. And they will be leading the group through different stages of evolution. And so I can picture myself sometime this coming summer having a meeting with my successor. And at this meeting, I'm going to turn over my complete set of Northern Virginia Ethical Society newsletters, every one published since 1983. And I imagine that at this meeting, I'm going to have a lot of feelings. I'm going to have a lot of pride in how far the Northern Virginia Ethical Society has come, and a lot of sadness that I will no longer be at the center of it. And relief, I will never again have to worry about a pledge campaign. And excitement about the changes that new leadership will bring to the group. And worry. Worry that the new leader won't do as well as I did. Worry that the new leader will do better than I did. 
but mostly, I expect to feel confident about the future of the group. And I want you to feel confident, too. In future years, this particular Northern Virginia Ethical Society leader will not be here speaking. But other leaders of the Northern Virginia Ethical Society will be here at least once a year to exchange platforms with your leader. And I have every confidence that things will turn out well. Because in ethical culture, we're good people. 